0: Hardhead Veterans Digital Marketing with Josh Brooks is up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran
1: on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe,
0: or someone still stuck in that job trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Start off 2024 with a new Navy Federal credit card that has an average APR 6% lower than the industry average. Find out more at NavyFederal.org. All right, we're talking with Marine veteran Josh Brooks, Director of Digital Marketing at Hardhead Veterans. Josh, welcome to the show. Got a lot of good things to talk about. Before we do, let's uh, start off like we always do and go back and tell us what you did in the Marine Corps.
1: Oh, yeah, geez. So I joined the Marine Corps back uh, at the end of 2006, I went to boot camp in San Diego in 2007. And from there, you know, I did the whole SOI thing. I was an infantry machine gunner by trade. I was stationed with 2nd Battalion, 3rd Marines uh, out in K-Bay, Marine Corps Base Hawaii. So uh, that was that was a good time. Stood uh, Iraq and Afghanistan twice with them. And then uh, I re-enlisted on an OP-4 contract, thinking maybe the military was going to be it. Um, and I, on the op four contract, I got shipped over to first battalion, second Marines, and I did the, uh, 24th Mew with them. And then, uh, around 2014, as I was getting ready for deployment number five as a Sergeant, I was like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. If, if, if Mews are, are the future of the Marine Corps, maybe it's not for me. So that's when I I made the decision to, uh, to get out, you know, I I had big plans to get out and be a mill contractor at Academy. Uh, the, the artist formerly known as Blackwater, um, you know, those, those didn't really pan out. You know, I went through all the WPS training, got selected and then, um, Academy lost their position at Herat. So left a bunch of us contractors just sitting on the bench for about six months. So, you know, I had a a brief stint as an electrician for about a year and that definitely wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Um, you know, I, I, had spent a lot of time on all of my deployments reading, and through all of that reading, I naturally got pretty good at writing. So after about a year of being an electrician, I applied for a writing gig at this company called Funker 530. And then yeah. through through Funker 530, um, I met the owner of Hardhead Veterans in 2015 when he was just starting the company. And I was 2016. He was just starting the company up. Um, and I met him through that. And um, just over the years, I had done a bunch of contract writing for him which is a really interesting path if anyone wants to get into writing, you know, that's a, it's a difficult job to get into, but there's a lot of demand. So if you just look for it, you can do freelance writing pretty easily. But um, you know, from, from that and freelance writing here, it got to the point of where the owner kit was like, Hey, I need someone full time to come on and help me with marketing because the business is growing and expanding. Uh, and you know, that, that's how I got here. I got here in, uh, the end of 21 to end of 2021, just as the new production facility we built in Texas was stood up. Um, and I've been running digital marketing and working on the marketing side of the house here the last two years now. So
0: awesome. Well, Hey, uh, you covered your, your, uh, job progression, everything, getting out of the Marine Corps pretty good. Like, were there any other, uh, interesting stories uh you know great achievements or failures when you when you got out like like were you prepared to transition or was it did it come real short and you were totally surprised did it go well take you a yeah so
1: i i thought for sure that i was gonna get out go into contracting do that for five or six years making you know five hundred dollars a day making all kinds of money and um you know i went through the wps training Passed all that with flying colors. Had my visa in hand for Afghanistan to get put out at Herat, doing embassies or not embassy, but uh, basically doing mobile security for uh, the ambassador and you know all those political figureheads that those guys do uh, protective work for. Yeah. Uh, but the the job just fell out from underneath of me. So I went from having this solid plan, right. uh, you know, I went from terminal leave straight to training in Moyak with academy, getting my certification, and then no job, no income for close to six months after that. Yeah. Uh, and it got to the point of where it's like, Oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to get you deployed next month. We're going to get you deployed next month. Oh, Hey, here's this contract in Syria that, um, you probably don't want, but we're looking for people for, um, and towards the end of that, I was like, you know, I had no money, was living on a buddy's couch, basically not paying. rent right? Cause I was waiting for this contract to kick up. So I kind of had to like, pull my pants up and figure out what I was going to do. So then I, I found the the job as an electrician's apprentice just to tide me over. You know, it wasn't the work I wanted to do, but it was good, steady, solid, honest work. But I paid 10 bucks an hour. You know, oh, I'm man. working for 10 bucks an hour Jeez. coming from a sergeant, making 3,200 to 3,500 a month, I think is what we were making at the time, to making you know a little over $1,200 a month when I had this contracting gig that was going to pay, you know, I think it was 120 something K a year Jeez. to make it. Okay. Now, now you're going to survive off of $18,000 a year, figure it out. <laughs> so that, that was probably the biggest struggle was just that one year where I was, you know, not making any money as an electrician's apprentice. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to get the owner of that company. I'm like, well, Hey, let me use my GI bill while I'm going to the apprenticeship. Cause that's something you can do. You can, if the company is registered with the state, you can actually get your GI bill money while you're doing OJT to get, you know, a journeyman card or a master's card, um, to be, you know, in the trades. But that wasn't something the employer was willing to do because it's a lot of paperwork upfront that the employer has to do. And then he has (laughs) to deal with the VA too, which isn't something, you know, he wants to deal with. So that was, that was a big struggle bus. And then, um, you know, I just, I took the, I took the, the leap of faith and I just sent it. Um, I ended up leaving the job at the, uh, electrician's place. And, um, I started going back to college cause my GI bill was paying me the exact same amount as, um, <laughs> you know, as I was making as an electrician. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I'll go to college and, you know, I'll try this writing thing. I'll try to make it work. Cause everyone had always told me like, oh, you gotta write a book. You gotta, you know, you gotta try writing. So I tried writing and, you know, fortunately it was the right timing. Um, I ended up getting the job at Funker five, three, zero, Uh, as a freelance writer. And through that, just all kinds of opportunities opened up. And I got really fortunate with that um, because uh, I don't know if you've heard of Funker 530. It's a really big um, archive of combat footage. But we do a lot of uh, recording the who, what, when, where and why of combat footage coming out of any conflict anywhere. Hmm. Um, And then from there, it just it opened up a lot of opportunities in the defense industry because there's a lot of interest in that in the defense industry. So I met a lot of people through that. And it's just through having that solid network, mostly of veterans that are in the defense industry, um, you know, I was able to get where I am today.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Well, hey, uh, at uh, Hardhead Veterans, they're doing uh, digital marketing and stuff like that. Talk a little bit about what what you guys are doing at Hardhead Veterans.
1: So, yeah, we're currently in the process of reshoring all of our manufacturing, when the company started, there was no big outside investor or anything. So an operation of our size costs right around, I don't know, somewhere between three and $5 million. And our owner is, you know, he's a former SWIC guy you know, he doesn't come from a, you know, a rich family or anything like that. He grew up on a farm. Um, and while he was, um, you know, in the SWIC teams, the, he, he was there when the high cut helmets, the maritime cut helmets first started coming out and he wanted to get one, but they were all, 2000 $2, dollars, you know, a whole month's worth of pay for those guys, basically. Um, and he's like, okay, well, that's not sustainable. So he got out, and he's the the real entrepreneurial entrepreneurial brain behind this company. So he, when he got out, um, he was doing a, he had a laser cutting, uh, laser engraving business that he was running on the side, uh, but it's all custom work, so it was very um, low volume. Stuff that he was able to do with that. And he invested his first bit of money from that straight into importing helmets from overseas in China and reselling those. And then over time, he was spending enough of them to where it's like, okay, well, we're going to change the entire design of the helmet. So then he reinvested again and he just kept reinvesting into the company, um, to where we are now, where we just bought a 31,000 square foot facility at the end of 2019. Uh, it was a Coke bottling plant. So we had to basically gut the entire thing. And retrofit it so we could manufacture helmets in it. Um, and then 2020 was all, all like the basic groundwork of that. So that's getting in our paint booth, getting in our initial equipment, doing research and development and reverse engineering the helmet. Cause you know, you ca- I can't just call up one of our competitors and say, how do you make a helmet? They're not going to tell us. Yeah. So we had to figure all that out on our own.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then getting those products tested to make sure that they're meeting the minimum standards so that they're, they're good to go. These are safe products. And then from there, improving that. So not only are we meeting those standards, we're exceeding those standards and we've got a better product. And then from there, getting in more machinery and actually scaling that to a level where we can you know, actually support doing sales to law enforcement and smaller military units. So that's, that's where we're at right now. Uh, in March of this year, we launched our first fully American-made helmet, and that's the, the ATE Light. Uh, and that's a UHMWP helmet that's made with Honeywell um, polyethylene materials. And, you know, we're getting that from Honeywell. It comes here, it gets cut. Our guys press it, they paint it, they cut it, everything. Um, so that's our first product. And right now we're in the process. Actually, we're hoping within the next two years to be entirely reshored in manufacturing everything here in the United States. That's, that's the objective. That's the goal for where oh, we're at right now.
0: Dang, awesome. We made it to 2024. Hard to believe I've been a Navy Federal member since 1990. You know, service isn't just what Navy Federal Credit Union does. It's who they are. That's why Navy Federal created tools to help you earn and save more. Make your financial goals a reality with great rates and low fees. Members can enjoy earnings and savings of $473 per year by banking with us. An average credit card APR that is 6% lower than industry average. A market-leading regular savings rate, nearly two times the industry average. Navy Federal Credit Union likes to reward their members for using their cards. And you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases with the cash rewards card when you sign up for direct deposit. When you use Navy Federal mobile app, you can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. Low intro APR offers. Learn more at NavyFederal.org, insured by NCUA. At Navy Federal, our members of the mission. Find out more at NavyFederal.org. Membership required? Open to the armed forces, the DOD, veterans, and their families. Messages and data rates may apply. Visit navyfederal.org for more information. All right, back to talking with uh, Marine Veteran Josh Brooks, Director of Digital Marketing at Hardhead Veterans. So, Josh, you kind of covered a little bit earlier, but I just wanted to be real specific here. How did you guys get into the business of making tactical helmets? Where'd that come from?
1: Yeah, so uh, initially where it came from was just the um, the, the cost of the ballistic helmets was too high for the average consumer. Um, the, 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 customer for a lot of our competitors is the government and the government can pay a lot for a product. Um, and that's fine. Uh, but I don't know how to say this without sounding like a jerk. <laughs> I, we might have to start over <laughs> if that's okay. I don't know how to say it without
0: sounding like a jerk. It's all right. No one's, no one's overly sensitive here.
1: Yeah. So our competitors charge a lot for their helmet. And it's not to say they don't make good helmets, but they charge a government rate
0: sure.
1: for the helmets. They can get $2,000 out of one of their helmets because their customer is Uncle Sam and it's the taxpayer. Uh, for us, the customer is, you know, the, the guy on the ground that wants a better helmet than the one he's issued because a lot of guys are getting issued still, um, like just low cut helmets and they're trying to run calm equipment up underneath of it and it's not working out for them. So they need to upgrade it themselves. Well, they shouldn't need to pay an entire month's salary in order to upgrade their helmet if they want to, or if you know they're right. a law enforcement officer and their department doesn't have a budget for helmets, they can come to us and they can buy a helmet one to one, and we'll directly ship it to them. Uh, there's no need for the helmet to cost two thousand plus dollars because the material components aren't that expensive at all, right. and neither is the labor. So our first product that is all American made. We came out, it's, it came out and it's $975. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and, you know, we still have a decent profit margin on that ourselves. We're not cutting any corners. The helmet is still ballistically sound. Uh, we publish all of the test results on it, but it's not a $2,000 helmet. Yeah. It's because we're not charging a government rate. We're charging the rate that the consumer can pay and actually right. afford the product.
0: Now are most of your customers, individual consumers, or do you, have you guys worked on government? contract. So so. we've got
1: about, um, last I knew, and I'd have to double check with Clinton, our LEO sales guy. We have 500 departments that are currently running our helmets. So we've got right around, it's between five or 700. It was 500 at the beginning of this year. That number's higher now. So we've got 500 departments that have made purchases from us. And those purchases range from uh, like our local police department here in Sweetwater. They have six of them. Uh, And then, you know, we've got like the Connecticut SWAT team, which was like 32 helmets. So we've got uh, a range of customers, but there are departments that have done uh, some some contracts with us.
0: Yeah. So, Talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously you guys, you make a great product, you're veteran owned, you're making it in the U S it's mm-hmm. just, it's the same thing that's being sold for over twice as much money being, being a digital marketing guy. How does it just not sell itself? Where do you come in? It does. It does sell itself. Yeah. Um,
1: the main thing that I'm People doing have to here know about is. is. Right. They have to know about it. So we have to get in front of people. So I have to move all the little chess pieces and sliders on all of the little ads. So, I mean, you, you said the word hardhead veterans into your microphone now. So you're probably going to be seeing our ads every time you're on Google for a little bit now. And that's, that's my main job there. That and, uh, creative content control. Uh, we, you know, we want our customers to know that we're not some faceless, Defense contracting agency, like the guys that are here making these helmets, like a lot of our guys use our products when they go out and shoot wild hogs, which is nice. a huge problem here in Texas, but we use our products because we were the end user once. It's not just, you know, some random guy that got hired here, make this helmet. hmm a lot of the customers here uh are either veterans themselves like myself my videographer our plant director the owner our customer service guy um or they have family members that have served our our uh, our press operator our lead press operator right now I think his dad was in the army uh during Vietnam so there's a lot of connection to the community and that's my job as a digital marketer I'm here to tell you that like we understand what the end user needs out of this product because we use it Um, and our employees have a vested interest in it because they think they're in our, you know, they, they are a part of our tribe. Um, so if that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you got into writing there for a while and it was going great. And so you're now your digital marketing for, for hardhead veterans. Um, what's the mix of the time you spend writing versus, uh, putting out social media and managing platforms and things like that?
1: So this is, this is actually a really good question uh, that I love to answer. Um, writing is marketing at the end of the day. Um, th- there's so much of the marketing process that overlaps with the writing process that it, it's almost one in the same. If you're, if you're a good writer, if you're a really good writer, you should be able to get a job into marketing really, really easily. Uh, you just have to learn like some of the ins and outs of marketing and how it works, but marketing is just telling a story at the end of the day, you have to be able to tell the story of the product and the company and of the customer. And if you can tell that story, you're effectively marketing. Uh, And that's really what the writing process is. So. Interesting. Hopefully that answers your question.
0: Yeah. So um, as a digital marketer, are are you, are you spending an inordinate amount of time of putting stuff out on platforms and trying to think of the terminology here? Like, are you pumping it into a system that's putting stuff out, or you know, you're spending most of your time actually writing the content?
1: Um, no. <laughs> I don't really know how I can quantify the split. I'd say it's probably like one-third, one-third, one-third. One-third would be um, actually creating the content. One-third would be getting the content out across platforms and moving all of the sliders and actually doing the specific marketing work. But if you have the first third done really well, the second third is really easy. And then the other one-third is actually getting out where the rubber meets the road and conversing with the actual customer themselves. Yeah. So if you're you're able to engage with the customer in a meaningful way, um, that really reflects back on the company overall. I'm not some faceless social media guy with a, a pre-set, you know, canned list of responses that I copy and paste from a notepad. I actually want to have a conversation with you, uh, you know, as someone who is or potentially will be our customer. I actually want to know you as the marketing guy so I can know what your needs are. And so I can relay that information to our engineer. If the customer has something specific that they need and then we can improve the product based off of that customer feedback, but collecting that customer feedback is part of the marketing process
0: for us. Yeah. And you mentioned storytelling, Uh, Do you find telling a story is one of the best marketing approaches as opposed to just putting out facts and stats and figures on your products?
1: So, and this is another fine line to walk. The storytelling process is super important, but also at the same time, the transparency on all those facts is something that's super important, and I think that's something that we do quite well. Um, we actually publish all of our lab test results, so we use um, NTS, which is National Technical Systems. They do all the t- ballistic testing. Uh, on the motorcycle helmet, um, I forget which DOT lab we're using. We just started working on a motorcycle helmet on a back end. and also uh, a hard hat. Which are made from the same. They're going to be made from the same materials as our ballistic helmet, but we have to use uh, ANSI and DOT testing. But the main thing is publishing all of that data where the customer can clearly see it. If a customer wants to know, um, you know, what, what's this helmet rated to, they can go look at our resistance to penetration testing. They can see it's rated to 44 Magnum. Uh, we shoot it, you know, this feet per second. I don't know it off the top of my head. I think it's like 980, and you know, this is the result, no penetration. Or if they want to see what our back face deformation is, same thing. They can click on the test and they get the raw numbers from the lab. We don't touch those numbers. We just take the sheet that they send us with our results. We scan it and we put it online so the customer can see it. And we also try to educate the customer as well um, and let them know like, hey, this is what happens when your helmet gets tested. So that's that that's most of our YouTube stuff is going out and kind of doing a backyard experiment and replicating those tests so the customer can see it in real time. Now, the storytelling aspect on the other side of it, that is really where we're, we're getting them. And we're saying like, Hey, you know, this is who we are. This is why you should trust us. This is why you should, you know, look at our product over our competitors. And then once they get in, they can see like, okay, here's, you know, all the facts and data on the product.
0: Yeah. So at the uh, risk of seeming ignorant, what's the difference between your regular issue Kevlar helmet and a tactical helmet?
1: <laughs> so there really, really isn't much of a difference, right? <laughs> oh, so we, we have, um, we have the, the old school Kevlar pots that you were issued. Um, we have a version of that that's based off of the uh, U.S. Army ACH. Um, it's just a a low cut standard issue helmet. It doesn't have any of the extra hardware. Um, when you start getting into like our high cut helmet, uh, like our Gen 2 helmet, which is the one that we import, that helmet is also an all, uh, all Aramid helmet, the same as your Kevlar. So Kevlar, and this is a a little known fact, Kevlar is actually a trademark, kind of like Velcro is a trademark. Kevlar is owned
0: by DuPont. Trademark name. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, so Kevlar is actually just the the trademark name of aramid fibers. So there's a lot of companies that make aramid. We dominantly use a company called Tijin, who was originally Japanese, and they got sold to a Norwegian company, and then Barde just bought them. And then the other one we'll use is Dupont Kevlar. So those are the two sources of aramid material that we use in our imported helmet. Now on our ATE light, we use something called ultra high weight molecular polyethylene. <laughs> which sounds way more complex than it needs to be. It's just, we call it UHMWPE for short. Honeywell makes it and we use that. It's just a lighter weight material with a higher tensile strength. So that's how you start getting like the really lightweight, uh, you know, one pound, 1.2 pounds, 1.6 pound helmets uh, compared oh. to, you know, the Kevlar helmet you might have been issued at the beginning of the GWAT, which is probably you know, four to five pounds and then you strap NVGs and everything else on it. You're wearing seven pounds on your neck all day. So (laughs) there's been a lot of really cool, um, really, really cool developments in that space. And then on top of that, um, it's not just the material and makeup of the helmet itself that matters. You start getting really into the nitty gritty of it. Um, and the, we found that the helmet padding makes a huge difference in performance. So we've developed a, a 3d printed system called micro lattice, which is just a series of superstructures in the helmet and they all interconnect with each other and it increases the performance of the helmet and testing. It's really interesting stuff, but you like, oh, yeah. you gotta like really nerd out on it and get into it and see that stuff though.
0: Well, I, I remember at the, at the, beginning, you know, right after the initial, Afghanistan, Iraq stuff there, whether guys are getting shot in the head or IED explosions, they had their Kevlar and all their PPE on, but they're still getting traumatic brain injuries because the shrapnel, the bullets may not have penetrated, but it was a massive impact to the head. So it's
1: just the, the kinetic energy being transferred through the helmet into the skull. It rattles your brain around and it can give you a TBI. That's one of our objectives with the micro lattice. We're actually working on um, a second, generation of it already because it's a really new technology and our objective, our hope is that um, with the new system that we're working on, we'll even further reduce that kinetic energy that gets transferred through the helmet shell into that. So that's what the pads are really for. Um, oh, that's yeah. why you saw those gray serodine blocks come out. You probably remember the original system, which was like a headband, and then they went to those uh, gray blocks after that, yeah, which I were mean, way better like than the headbands.
0: memory foam stuff that you placed yep. inside your helmet all over. Uh, made them a whole lot more comfortable too <laughs> Yep, <laughs> than the straps.
1: That was our goal with the micro lattice pads is because it's uh, they're hollow structures, So more airflow gets through. So it's like, not only is it really comfortable, better than memory foam, it has better airflow. So it's like wearing an air conditioner on your helmet. Wow. Uh, but we put it in there and then we sent it to get tested and it's like, um, yeah, this performed really good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So
0: That's great. What kind of numbers can you share with us? Like uh, you mentioned 500 different, um, I guess, customers, if you will, of, of various, various sizes. So that's a lot, you know, for something like that, that many different customers, what's your growth expectations and whatever uh, numbers you want to share with us.
1: So we have, Somewhere ballpark between 500 and 700 um, departments. Now, those are department customers where the city, the municipality, the sheriff, whoever mm-hmm. made the decision to make the purchase. We have around 90,000 direct to consumer sales um, with the actual ballistic helmets, and a lot of those are repeat customers. Um, and so those are guys coming in, they'll buy maybe a bump helmet, try us out. The bump helmet's like a $200 product, it's good for like you know whitewater rafting, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then they'll come back and they'll buy a ballistic helmet from us, or they'll come back and they'll buy. Um, you know, other accessories that we have. Uh, so we've got right around 90,000 customers uh, total, I believe. Uh, I can't share any of our gross numbers because I'm sure some people are going to watch this that are competing <laughs> sure. with us and we're not publicly traded. So we get that benefit on that. But, um, you know, we're, we're hoping within the next two years to fully expand and reshore all of our operations um, and Basically every dime the company makes is being reinvested back into this manufacturing facility um, and our employees right now. that That's where we're at. And, you know, we're doing pretty well there uh, without awesome. getting into any specific numbers.
0: All right. And how do we, uh, how do we find more, find out more or get in touch with hardhead veterans?
1: Um, so we're, Hard underscore head underscore veterans on pretty much every social media platform. That's Facebook uh, and Instagram. I think hardhead vets, Twitter's hardhead vets, uh, TikTok should be hardhead veterans as well. So I mean, we're we're pretty much anywhere you have a social media platform, except for I think Pinterest. I don't think we're on Pinterest. You just search hardhead veterans, you'll find us. Uh, like I said, if you heard if your phone overheard the word hardhead veterans, you are probably going to be getting our ads for the next three or four weeks. So, I actually have a question. Pretty about easy to that. find.
0: Because yeah. we, we were a couple of weekends ago, we were with, hanging out with some folks and we we're like, let's do a test. Everybody get out their phone and we started saying, lighthouse, lighthouse, lighthouse. I want to buy a lighthouse. I want to buy a picture of a light. Just you know, scroll through are your phones actually listening to what you're saying? Because so many I, I times we're talking about something and all of a sudden it starts showing up on your Facebook feed or somewhere else. It's like, really?
1: I can't confirm it, <laughs> but I have a suspicion that it's there. It's not like an option we get on my end to like, hey, snipe people's voice right. like, from their phone. Uh, but I have a suspicion that that's the case. It has <laughs> a lot to do. Um, our ads will come based on uh, like actual search. So if, you, if you're if you searching for ballistic helmets, yeah, there's that a makes very sense. good chance you'll find us.
0: But there's been times we're you, sitting there and we, nobody searched for anything and all of a sudden it's showing up and it's like, we were just talking about that. guy. <laughs> Why is he showing up here? Yeah. Something's going on. Anyways, the next morning, my wife actually had a, a lighthouse under under on her feed for some reason. Interesting. Yeah. So it's interesting.
1: <laughs> it is, that is really interesting. I wonder if I'm going to start seeing Lighthouse around. ads myself. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the only ads I really see are from our company anymore because I spend so much time like, on the back end in Shopify or being on the front of it, making sure everything's good or just you know engaging with our content on social media. So it's just like I see almost all of our ads constantly.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, hey, um, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, talking to somebody getting out of the military, looking to get in entrepreneurship or or start your own business, or, you know, join in a startup, um, what kind of advice comes to mind to you?
1: Uh, You know, be open to everything that comes in front of you. Uh, Don't be afraid to fail at all. Like, I was petrified when I made the jump from being, you know, a consistent nine-to-five electrician job to, like, hey, I'm going to start freelance writing uh, while I'm in college. That was uh, a big jump, but it ended up working out well for me. Uh, And the other thing is to just always be networking with people because you never know who you're going to meet. Um, and a lot of those connections can be really, really valuable later in life. So
0: awesome. Well, great. Well, thanks Josh for sharing your uh, entrepreneurial success story and, uh, and, and, your everything else too. And uh, look forward to you guys future success.
1: All right. We can't wait to be back on here in a couple of years to say we're, yeah, we're no, done reshoring everything. Okay,
0: we'll get you back on and, and see where you guys are at.
1: Yeah. That'll, that. it'll be future. No, Siri, that'll be a fun one to talk about because <laughs> reshoring, let me tell you, it's a whole nother beast. I don't want to eat up too much time, but, uh, that, that's a whole whole monster that'll be worth exploring at some point. Too. I totally
0: relate. You know, we've used to be Amazon sellers. I've had products manufactured in China and it was almost impossible to get something made in the U S no, no manufacturers don't even want to talk to you, but you go to China and boom, it's, it, you got it in a couple of weeks. It, it's crazy. So yeah, made in the USA is you know, the way to go, but you know, sometimes it's you hard to do. It's it, hard right, right now. Yeah, it's it, it's a,
1: uh, it, it's a challenge to stand up manufacturing. I think that's something um, we're going to have to work on
0: Yeah.
1: as an, as a nation, we're going to have to work on reshoring more stuff right. and it's doable. We're doing it. We're doing it in this economy. So I think anyone can do it. If a, a bunch of knuckle dragon vets with no, you know, serious, no, no super serious training in this, like if we can figure it out, this country can figure it out,
0: you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks again uh, for sharing everything and look, look forward to you guys' future success and have you back on the show here in the near future and uh, keep on marching down the road Alright, All right. sounds these, good These two veterans are I can say these two Marines are Oscar Mike I like saying that one too <laughs> so We're out Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move your pathfinder to freedom If you like the show leave us a review on iTunes Reviews are always greatly appreciated So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.